What is going on you guys and welcome back to another video. Today's video we are going to be finishing off the year with a joint one and we have in store basically like a market outlook, I guess. I think we're going to call this our strategy or our take on how we're going to be approaching 2022. We got a bunch of notes here in store, Dad, talking about everything from inflation to the Canadian dollar, um, where we may see opportunities. But first and foremost, how are you? I'm very well, Brandon. Thanks very much. Yeah, <laughs> all good. Good. Well, I mean, I don't know how long this is going to be, so why don't we dive in? Um, sure. We will just. I will just ask. For those that are watching, take a moment and give a thumbs up. Let us know your thoughts, maybe what you guys are doing in terms of strategy for the new year, mm -hmm. what your outlook is. But basically, I think we'll start this video today by doing somewhat of like a look back, you know, kind of like a back look at what happened in 2021. And I think that may actually set the stage for, you know, where we are today and where we see, you know, what we see happening over the previous year. Obviously, I think it goes without saying we're still here with COVID <laughs> two years later. <laughs> That didn't stop <laughs> and it doesn't really seem to be stopping but um yeah that's like you know that's clearly shaken up the global markets it's shaken up our whole lives to be honest and now with this om omic omicron omicron variant oh, omicron. omicron omicron uh well whatever this one is um it's at it's at large it's at loose good thing though however i'm seeing statistics that it's you know significantly less uh impactful to you know your your health or at least, you know, hospitalizations and, and the, the symptoms you get. That said, it is spreading Fingers quite fast. Yeah. It does have quite yeah. a, a high spreading rate. That's fair to say, Dad? Uh, yeah, extremely high spreading state. That that we know already. <laughs> the numbers are mm -hmm. in on that. And then, mm -hmm. yeah, the, the depth of the illnesses that it causes is still uh, up for debate. And we're learning more as it's getting along. But yeah, I've, we're, I've not seen, we're not doctors here. We're not doctors. We're not. This is not medical advice. But I have, like you, I have seen reports that suggest at least uh, initially that the um, it's not as as uh, it doesn't affect you as, as negatively as some of the other strains so uh yeah. geez, fingers crossed that that's the case here yeah nevertheless that is still something that is out and it's an issue that's present um another thing that we were just going to chat about was like the supply chain issues that we've seen over the past little while there doesn't really seem to be any um hope in sight relief um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to see how that does play out. But of course, I think one of the big things that we're going to be talking about today as well as inflation. And we've had some higher inflation numbers coming up. That may have been something that has kind of shaken up the market, uh, at least in the last quarter of this year, where we've really started to see some higher numbers. But nevertheless, I mean, I think that can kind of, in a sense, summarize 2021. The markets, you know, kind of played out their recovery. They came out of this pandemic um, and they did quite well, to be honest, other than the past little while where we have seen a little bit of shakiness. Well, that, that's so true. And I mean, clearly the um, the recovery, the strong recovery was helped by things like the vaccines. That was a huge mm -hmm. change um, as long as we can manage through that uh, carefully. Another big, big part of our recovery was, I mean, just unprecedented stimulus by the global central banks, right? There's been somewhere in the range of yeah. like $16 trillion of stimulus that's been put into the markets. And so uh, wow. with that kind of, you know, hand-holding, uh, you would, I guess, to some degree ex expect um, the recovery. Interesting, uh, almost the timing on this, Brandon, we did a joint video in January of 20, uh, 
2019. No, sorry, January of 2020. So almost two years say ago. 2019. Yeah. Yeah. Almost uh, 2020, uh, we did a joint video and it was, I think it was like a Q&A type video. And one of the comments that I made or the question was, you know, do you see signs of a recession coming up? And mm -hmm. I remember vividly saying, you know, all of the metrics that I look at, all of the indicators of, the, of a pending recession just weren't there. So my comment was, I don't see anything. And then of course, about a month and a half later, COVID hit and you know, we had, we got whacked. And, uh, you know, so it's one of those, it's one of those reminders, I guess, because I think I did my, my homework and my due diligence properly, but there's these mm -hmm. things that come out of nowhere. And um, I'm Black reminded Swan of events. Yeah. Black Swan events. I'm reminded yeah. of a quote by Peter Drucker. The best way to predict your future is to create it. And this is a reminder that we don't, we really can't predict the future. There's so many things that happen out there, but what we can do, and that's probably what we're gonna do in this video here, we can analyze what's happening out there and then we can assess what some possible outcomes might be. And then from that, mm -hmm. we can just position our portfolios to you know to weigh ourselves in something that we're comfortable with and so hopefully avoid any any big slams but uh so true you know and i think we, that's not to cut you off i think that's the name of the game with investing right it's to kind of survey the the the, the landscape right you know we, nobody here has a crystal ball none of the viewers here can can anticipate for 100 percent certainty and to like 100 percent degree of what's going to happen but what we can do is kind of look at all these these um yeah, not 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 metrics, not the word I'm looking for, but just conditions and, conditions mm -hmm. that are kind of mm -hmm. pointing us either to say, hey, you know, long runway ahead, or you know, hey, maybe we need to be a little more careful. And I, I think that's mm -hmm. more or less. I mean, you just said that, but I just repeated it. But it's all good. Sorry, you, you reinforced it. <laughs> yeah, re yeah, yeah. Well, we can agree on that. Now, what's interesting, um, I, I had a look, Brandon, at sort of some of the large investment institutions down in the states as to what they're predicting for 2022, mm -hmm. and. We, you know, we talk about this, the the um, the latitude you need when you're making these predictions. And when we look at some of these, I mean, the big brokerage houses can't even agree. For context, the S&P 500 is around 4,700 today at that level. When we look at this table I pulled up here, we've got, you know, a range uh, of where will the S&P 500 finish 2022? And mm -hmm. we've got 4,400 on the low end, all the way up to 5,200 on the high end. So that's a pretty significant range. And you know, most are somewhere in between, but the only company or the only institution that is predicting uh, a decline in the S&P mm -hmm. 500 is coming here is Morgan Stanley at 4,400. And I've read a lot about that call and they're obviously the outlier here. The majority are saying somewhere in the middle, you know, 5,000 and so, uh, I tend to agree with this. I tend to, well, I tend to agree with sort of more, a more moderate, um, increase in the equity markets, um, but not a big year, but certainly I would not be surprised if the year ends up in positive territories. And you know, when we yeah. think about what our expectations are, the conditions kind of in a weird way are actually pretty good for mm -hmm. equities. So I agree. Yeah, no, I agree They're, They actually are pretty good. I, I think where a mistake people could find themselves thinking is if they're measuring the past couple of years performance, and kind of mm -hmm. thinking that's the benchmark. I think we we personally are setting our expectations lower than that because coming right. out of the pandemic, like we have been really, really roaring, honestly, and <laughs> and like roaring. This the, the, I think is the fastest recovery ever in history, and the returns yeah. have been very, very tremendous. Again, other than a little bit of shakiness towards the end of this year, but as you said, um, you know, as our economy starts to kind of get back to normal again, Omicron kind of hovering there is is a big maybe or a big thing to consider but it's not like yeah it's not like i guess the sky is falling is, is what you're saying 
Well, to your point, and and when we think of the the big hit we took in March of 2020, I mean, we've transitioned from a reopening of the economy, and it was shut down. So there's going to be, and there has been, tremendous growth coming out of that. But we're going to be getting back, I believe, to more of a normal mm. scenario. You know, we, mm-hmm. I believe, we will see some some returns in equities, but probably more along the larger term, uh, the longer term averages. Maybe single digits. Yeah, maybe single digits. You know, I I can't help it. You know, just the way my brain thinks is when you look back at the annual calendar returns, you know, you just look at a table. It shows annual calendar returns. And I think over the past couple of years, we've been the high double digits, right? 22%. I forget the exact numbers off the top of my mind. But you, you, you can't see those periods last forever. And, you know, you get the the fluctuations. And after a, a, a great period, it doesn't necessarily mean that the markets are going to be going down. It doesn't mean that we're expecting a 30 40% crash or a, a calendar year return, but just something mm-hmm. a little bit back to more normal. And as Regression said, to I, the mean, right? Regression you know, to the mean. I, I think, yeah. in my opinion, at least the conditions are almost set for that. Again, assuming we don't you know, go into, let's say, another lockdown because of Omicron. I, again, we always have to keep that door open. I don't know. I'm not a scientist, so I, I, I don't know what the plans are there. But that's just something, mm-hmm. you know, living through that recently is always something to consider. We we can't get out of our minds for sure. Um, no, that's true. And uh, as long as I mean, I, I'm, I'm gaining more confidence as time goes by, um, that the the manufacturers of these, you know, the, the medical, um, the, you know, the vaccines or yeah. the therapeutics um, are they, they have a much better picture of what's happening now than they did a year and a half ago. Uh, and so it, even now with the Omicron, you know, they're talking about having a specific vaccine, if necessary, you know, by March, I think is the last Ooh, time another one. Another well, another yeah, one. they're talking about and you know, and the nice thing is about these mRNA vaccines is that they can tweak them apparently quite quickly to you know they look at what's the new variant is and they can make those tweaks and then yeah, what it means though, of course, is another round of vaccines. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, at least they they now have learned. Uh, much it's like sink or swim you jumped in the water you learn how to learn how to swim and they've learned uh, by trial and error here how to um to make those work and i think what i'll just bro- I, mean, I think i think i'll just chime in and kind of give the yeah. the viewers what they want to know so what you're saying stocks to buy right now is moderna is that's what we want <laughs> well well i think we're going to talk this about this a little later but certainly healthcare is is a stock that we want to have in the portfolio okay. but so moderna I'll, might take be- a, I'll take a step back might be one of those. Um, let's look at a little, a little broader scale, Brandon, and from a, um, like, you know, past the medical field. But you know, we talked earlier about this sort of the supply chain issue, and and there is a lot of there's a lot of inventory demand right now. So there's all the mm-hmm. stress, I guess, on the inventory because um, the demand is so high because of all the supply chain issues, and you know, we've had the ships all backed up, and truckers not getting everything around. Um, there a is of, a, yeah, there's there's right. a lot of yeah, there's a lot of pent up demand out there. I think that bodes well for 2022, or at least for the start. You know that they the manufacturers will work their way through that. I mean, always have, always will. Um, so I, I'm not suggesting that the entire year will be like that. In fact, probably you know if, if we look you know later to the second part of the year uh, of 2022, I wouldn't be surprised if um, those things slow down. But one of the one of the metrics that I do watch quite regularly is the uh, purchasing managers index. And if we look at the uh, the PMI chart that I prepared and sent over to you, Brandon, if we look at the, just a bit of context here, the, the purple line across the middle is 50. And if the PMI is above 50, that essentially means or that it's a growing economy. And mm. if the um, 
if the number is below 50, it means it's a shrinking economy. And so we can see, I mean, the huge impact of COVID, obviously, where everything went down. We've seen that strong recovery, but in the last couple of months, last few months, we've seen that PMI level off. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if we continue to see that going down. Now, in and of itself, a, a declining PMI doesn't mean the markets are stopping or slowing or mm -hmm. crashing. It just means that they're slowing, right? So as long as we yeah. stay above that 50 line, uh, that's the key thing. I think we might see that adjust more towards the 50 at some point in uh, 2022. Any thoughts on that or? Yeah, well, no, that's this is not a metric that I follow all too much myself. Um, I know it's one that a lot of, you know, economists will look at and it's a great mm. indicator of what's happening. I think what that goes to show, you know, seeing the PMI above 50, you know, as you mentioned, the 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 you know the things are kind of in place for the market to keep pushing on to mm. me you know I, I had some notes here on inflation that i wanted to talk about mm. and it's basically you know that that to me is showing it's a it's a result of that you know it's like things are powering on um you know inflation clearly the numbers are are as i mentioned a, a little bit higher at the given point and yeah. that's a factor of you know low rates of course as you yeah. mentioned the high demand and that tight inventory supply these are all things that have basically been contributing to that not to mention, of course, um, you know, all the money flooding that we that we've been seeing into the markets. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, maybe maybe a question that I'll ask you, because, yeah, I'd kind of like to hear your opinion on this. It's the question of the day. It's the question of the month. You know, is inflation transitory uh, or is this something that you expect is going to be longer term? Um, I have my opinion on that. But, you know, yeah. Do you have any thoughts? Well, my initial thoughts, and I'm just going to go back and just sort of lay out what I thought earlier in the year and my um my initial take on on uh, inflation that is that it would be more transitory. I mean, we saw the huge drop, the huge you know spike, and then uh, I thought that would pull back probably quicker than it is. But missing from that equation was all these these issues with supply chain and everything else. So it's taken longer than I would have expected for things to get back to normal. Um, mm -hmm. I would say if the question is transitory versus long term, um, I, I think transitory versus midterm maybe. I I wouldn't be shocked. If you know again, latter part of the year, we start to see that come back to a more number, number at least slow down, uh, just because they will be fixing some of these issues that yeah. are um, that are causing this inflation. And I mean, we think of quite famously or infamously now, uh, you know, the Fed south of the border was you know just adamant in the administration that this is a transitory thing. Don't worry about it. And now you know they've gotten to the point where they're saying, okay, you know, we give up. It is actually yeah. a real issue. Mm -hmm. Because of how front, you know, headline that has become, uh, we're starting to see a lot of steps being taken uh, to mm -hmm. to help with that. So it does give me some some uh, you know some comfort, I guess you would say. I did look at a um, there's there's a, a chart that I, I prepared here, Brandon, talking about the inflation expectations, and uh, you can see on that that the expectations uh, of inflation have followed have fallen in the last uh, few months and so you know these are all just predictions of course and who knows ultimately where they're going to end up but uh, that's one of the things i would factor in to my decision as to where inflation's going also of course if we look at what the central banks are doing a big big part of um the the change that's occurring now is is the tapering uh, of the fed and and you know we, we've seen some enormous money some buyings of you know the bonds and the mm -hmm. mortgage-backed securities over the last you know year plus and so that is very inflationary of itself now the fed has already of course indicated that they're that they're going to stop 
um, doing that. And yeah. you know, depending on the exact the exact uh, time frame that they do it, but you know, it could be as early as uh, you know, probably March. I think is probably when they're going to completely. Uh, have eliminated the tapering program or have completed the tapering and possibly a little bit longer, but you know, early in the year anyway. So I think because of that, um, again, that shows me that, um, that, that they're tackling this problem and it gives me some comfort um, there. Yeah. And you know, what, what's funny that is like a lot of people, when they hear these types of, you know, um, they see an article online and they say, Hey, this is, you know, we're going to raise rates three times in 2022. This is what we're going to do. We're going to cut back on the on the uh, the the money or, or the money supply. Mm. Um, is that inherently a bad thing? Like, is that inherently, you know, people tend to say they, they, they draw their, you know what I mean? They say, oh, this yeah. means stock market is going to crash. This is what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, is it ironically, I think I, I know our answer for this, but, you know. <laughs> Well, I think it's inherently a good thing, you know, and and um, but but yes, every time you get this news, even though it's, you know, headline after headline, month after month says, you know, they're talking about tapering. They, you know, they dissect the Fed notes and they go, yep, they're talking. It's coming. Well, when it's announced that it's coming, the markets almost always tend to overreact on the downside. Mm -hmm. But they're they're tapering because the economy has recovered and is continues to recover. It's powering so, on. Yeah. It's powering on. And, you know, a, a quick analogy that I've always thought in this regard is, you know, you have your one year old and you're teaching this little child how to walk and, you know, their their legs are strong enough. They just don't have the balance and you walk behind them and you hold their hands to help them. And that's kind of what the um, you know, what the um, the quantitative easing is. The economy is moving, but it's stumbling. So they kind of hold your hands. Well, at some point you want them to let go. Now, I guess I guess in some kind of a theoretical perfect world, uh, as imperfect as it would be, um, maybe they just always throw money into you know into, into the economy, but that's not realistic. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I really do see uh, the tightening as a, a good sign. And uh, you know, I would only say as far as the central. Well, go ahead. Sorry, no, no, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to say the last point on this. If um, if everything goes smoothly, I see it as a positive thing. And and this this sort of um, uh, assumes that the central banks, the Fed here in Canada. Uh, don't sort of make a policy error and and make some huge screw up that will uh, have a longer term negative impact. Uh, failing that, Brandon, I think that uh, I think that things are probably looking uh, pretty good there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like you said, it's it's um, at least investors. I think of my demographic, people that maybe you would see online, and the ones that would share their opinion on this, that have basically been in a really uh, optimal environment for you know stock market yeah, investing yeah. over the past few years you know I, I i can't say that i'm old enough to live through periods where interest rates weren't low right yeah, like yeah. how crazy is that um obviously we can look back at the statistics we can look back at what the textbook says i can learn from people yeah, like yourself yeah. who've been through those periods and, and say you know well, well how do we approach this but i think a lot of people um they've come to believe that this is the norm that you know zero or close to zero percent interest rates is what it is and and stocks are where it's at but that's that's not how it historically has been and as you said you know people will see the fact that they're raising rates or, or you know yeah yeah and they assume that this is just a negative this is just kind of getting us back to that normalcy which i think is is sustainable over longer periods of time right it's funny one, one other thing that pops to mind it, it's um i see it on the reddit post like 
people always complain about this is kind of unrelated by the way dad but they, they, they come <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just listen to this part because i probably don't have much to contribute <laughs> oh well yeah no they basically say that they, the the people hate the fact that they keep announcing that they're going to be you know there's always just announcements about what they're going to be doing announcements about possibly raising rates announcements like about what they're planning to do this year one of the one of the posts that i saw was like you know, is it, would it be better off? Would we be better off as investors if they just stopped doing all these announcements about for the sake of announcing things and just waited till things actually happen. And they actually mm-hmm. just said, Hey guys, we hiked the rate. This is what we did. Um, right. Again, it's kind of unrelated, but that thought just popped to mind because yeah, it seems like everywhere you go, you just, you hear about it over and over and over again well, and, and who knows how things will play out, but just, a, just a thought. Well, just a, an older guy, non Reddit user uh, weighing in on that is I have been through eras where the, the the central banks or the governments have made sudden changes without warning and trust me they do not go over very well so I see. you know it, it's damned if you do damned if you don't and uh, of course like you say that you know the the media wants to push stories and that's how they make their money by having people True. click on their websites or read their newspapers or uh, that mm-hmm. type of thing so so yeah it will always be but I, I get it and it's almost like just stop saying it do it but mm-hmm. uh, yeah without I mean as investors that's kind of what we're doing here is we're saying where do we think the pendulum will swing in 2022 and accordingly how do we position our investments so Mm -hmm. i think this is a better system where you get some data you collect it and then ultimately you factor in your decision uh, yeah 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 you make your decision yeah that's true well um but i have some thoughts here to share on basically maybe what types of uh you know maybe where we may see some opportunities in the market um i don't want to call it a sector rotation or what we should be doing sure. with our portfolios yeah but before before that i do see you have some notes on you know the supply chain i think you have actually a really nice chart here which um yeah if you if you want to quickly chat about that hey everybody it's brandon here i'd like to interrupt today's episode very briefly to remind you that if you're looking for more training in the Canadian stock market, don't hesitate to check out our Investing Academy. You can join our private membership group and get access to our top stock picks, trade calls, portfolio insights, and a variety of tools that are helping our members all across the country better their own investing journeys. All it takes is one great stock idea or tip, and that alone can cover years and years of your subscription to our membership group. If you're looking for some additional video training to broaden your knowledge and expand your understanding of the stock market in Canada, we do of course offer a fully video online training program where you can learn from the comfort of your home amongst a variety of students across the country. Both of these products can be found at www.theinvestingacademy.ca where you can sign up for them online or schedule a call with us to learn more. Now back to our scheduled episode. Sure, I'll just I'll just chat about that quickly because there has been so much chat about chatting about uh, the supply chain. So mm-hmm. yeah, on the chart that I uh, threw up here, Brandon, it just talks about dis- supply chain disruptions. And as we all know, I mean, most of us have been affected, especially here. We're at Christmas and people are t- talking about not getting their Christmas toys on time. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. But you can see that historically. Um, going going back to 1948 on this chart here, we, it, it's not imaginary. The, the supply chain uh, numbers are high. Yeah. Uh, Again, very quickly, that does show strength. I mean, I don't want to beat a dead horse here. We've already talked about that. But the low inventories that we've had are, you know, being built up. Uh, I, I think this continues, uh, you know, points to continued growth. So, um, yeah, it, there's been so much said about supply chain. I think that I just wanted to touch on it because mm. it has been such a topic and maybe some people have questions. But um, I think that that chain issue will be so, will be solved 
um, I read or heard this morning, I think it was, or maybe yesterday, just regarding some new some new steps that are being pl put in place to make sure that the goods uh, move around the countries or around the world. Yeah, actually, so, I, yeah. I, I agree in a sense, and then I disagree in a sense. Like, mm -hmm. I, of course, we're, we're not going to stay in this uh, situation forever, but I also don't see it being anything, you know, immediate getting back mm -hmm. to a uh, more normal. And I, I can see that, you know, I don't know if you mentioned there a time frame, but like, do you see I didn't, better? I, I didn't. Yeah, because in 2022, <laughs> first first quarter, second, like two years, two quarters into the year, I, I mean, I don't see it getting better, especially with everything that's going on. I, I could be wrong. Uh, on that, if I had to give it a time frame, and mm -hmm. I don't, but I will, um, I would say I don't see anything major occurring. I see steps putting place in the first half of the year. I can see a res a partial resolution by you know by the second half of the year. Uh, now that doesn't mean it'll be all fixed, and you know these everything gets all backed up. It takes a while for mm -hmm. for that to be moved. But it, but the the blockage that we've seen, uh, I think, will ease, and so things will get more back to normal. Full resolution, oh man, it'll take a while. Like you know, yeah. I don't know if I don't know if we'll, through twenty twenty two we may not see full resolution, but mm -hmm. will be enough. Um, that things will at least seem normal and we'll be able to get goods in, in a sort of more normal times. Gotcha. Well, hey, why don't fingers I cross on that one too? A lot of finger crossing in this, uh, yeah. in this episode. Yeah. Jeez. Well, yeah. yeah, let me throw up a chart on the page here. I want to talk a little bit about the Canadian uh, market. Obviously, yeah. I know mm -hmm. so many of you guys are wondering what our thoughts are on the Canadian stock market, you know, what stocks we're liking, et cetera, et cetera. Um, actually, this is actually what we find pretty interesting. This was sourced from Refintive Data Stream uh, and Russell Investments. But basically, as of today, you know, it is fair to say that the Canadian market, which is represented here in orange, the valuations are actually looking more attractive at this point than the U.S. market. And we see, for example, on a forward P.E. basis, 66 percent versus 95 percent uh, price to book uh, ratio, 78 versus 100 and in profit margins, 97 to 100. But nevertheless, uh, as we kind of go into this upcoming year, you know, I, if you looked at my portfolio, Dad, I have so many, you know, great U.S. investments. And mm -hmm. if I did have to be honest, like I'm even lacking a little bit on the Canadian side. But that mm -hmm. almost might be it might be a good thing, because now if I'm looking for different opportunities, um, there are going to be a handful of Canadian names that I that I personally look for. Um, there's already a, a bunch of the ones that I'm liking at the moment. Maybe just to name a few fellows watching, I, I've really been liking Kushtard or Kushtar, right? Um, yeah. Manulife is one that, you know, it hasn't really been moving anywhere, but in terms of dividend income, I love adding to that that name right now. Even the Canadian banks, you know, like they're the banks, yeah. they're steady as they go. But the, when you look at their valuations, they're so cheaply priced at the end of the day for such a quality business. And, you know, investors here, they love investing in those stocks. And so do we. Uh, I'm going to yeah. be making a priority on my, on my end and my own personal account to really focus on the Canadian market. And stats like this. Again, you don't you don't always want to just compare it to the U.S. market, but it may give you again just a little more direction as to where to look. And it does seem to that the Canadian market may be showing a little bit more opportunity. Right. A couple of quick points on this, Brandon, because yeah, we do tend to compare to the U.S. market because the U.S. market is the engine of the global uh, investment world, essentially. Right. And mm -hmm. as Canadians, uh, we do tend uh, to own a lot of U.S. companies, and so I think it's a it's it's a reasonable. You know, um, com sorry, comparison. Sorry to, cut, sorry to cut you off. Yeah, yeah. like it's fun. You know, I would ask this to a Canadian person, and you know, like I think this is a very good question to ask. If you're so all about Canada stocks, that you love Canada stocks so much, if you look at your portfolio, how many investors here in Canada would go out and own a bunch of Australian companies? Right. Yeah. 
how many of them would yeah. own the Australian banks and all these Australian companies? You'd be like, why the heck would I invest in that market? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah. very, very similar. And I bet you the Australian people would be saying vice versa. Why would I go out and buy a Canadian stock? Of course. So yeah. yeah, just to throw in there, but sorry. Well, there, there are, and there, and there are good investment opportunities here in Canada, but we have to mm. be careful. I think there's this bias. I think, I don't know if this is the official word, but they call it like home country bias where, mm -hmm. and this is global. You tend to want to buy companies uh, in that are domiciled in countries that you live in. And so for us, that's Canada. And um, gee, I've seen portfolios where they're, a high percentage are in Canadian companies to the exclusion of the US or anywhere else on the globe. And just a quick aside, I mean, that's just darn right dangerous because the, the, the portfolios can be so concentrated um, that, you know, from a, from a um, diversification perspective, that's, you're pinning a lot on the Canadian economy, but also just think about how small Canada is, our investment opportunities compared to the rest of the world. So by limiting mm -hmm. yourself only to Canada, uh, there's a problem there. But um, Canada is part of most of our portfolios. And so I think the point here is we're saying, if you're looking to re-diversify your portfolio um, and sort of rebalance things, and typically very commonly at the end of the year, people sort of sit down and review and go, okay, where am I gonna position things for the next quarter or for 2022? Um, then yeah, I think Canada des Canadian companies do, do deserve um, some uh, some attention there. Never forget there's a strong, strong tie between the Canadian dollar and the Canadian economy and the prices of energy. And uh, you know, we've seen the price of oil uh, since, mm -hmm. you know, we saw it crash when COVID hit, but it's made a really strong recovery um, since then. Um, there's a few reasons, obviously the economic recovery has helped there, but it, when you look, you know, a little drill a little deeper down into uh, the energy sector, um, the supply remains tight. We always see headlines thinking, of, you know, talking about earlier, Brandon, about, you know, hearing things and like, you know, talking about consumption and OPEC and everything else. Well, consumption was like $92 million a barrel or 92 million barrels a day uh, back in 2020. We're, you know, that's up to about 98 million barrels per day uh, as of where we are right now. And think mm -hmm. of that compared to the supply, the average supply, which is about $95 million. Uh, gee, I keep saying million dollars, 95 million barrels uh, a day. So purely from the classic supply and demand perspective, I think we're going to continue to see some upward pressure on uh, the price of crude. Um, I threw up a chart here, Brandon, that just shows about how in the last little while uh, we've seen the price of the crude come down. Uh, and accordingly, we've also seen the price of the Canadian dollar come down vis-a-vis -vis the US dollar. So um, I think that the Canadian dollar is currently undervalued compared mm -hmm. to the USD with this pressure of what I expect oil prices to, um, with the exception of you know the, the jitterness of the, uh, of the COVID uh, time, from time to time. But in general, I would see that go up and I would expect the Canadian dollar should rise. And, you know, I just showed a, a gave, I gave you a chart here sort of showing a range that I'm expecting sort of in the 83 to 85 cent range, which by historic standards would sort of be a more normal range you'd expect to see the Canadian dollar at given out everything else that's going on out there. So yeah, I, I like what you're saying about Canadian investments. I think that um, uh, they deserve some attention. You wouldn't sell everything else and put your money all into Canada, but this is where you sort of tweak your portfolio and rebalance and that's something to, uh, to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know a lot of investors ask us these days about, you know, fixed income. Like we actually get those questions a lot. Our students know quite well um, yeah. our opinion on that and what we're doing, but maybe if we just share some general thoughts on fixed income. Uh, at this point, I think my portfolio has 
geez, five, seven percent waiting in fixed income. So a very, right. very small component. Yeah. I just have a, a small blog component, which essentially, I mean, in a sense, I almost look at it as my cash component. Um, mm. I don't know if we're going to be sharing the exact fund, but yeah, is fixed income going to be any more attractive than it has been? 2022 is going to see fixed income is going to explode, Brandon. No, I'm kidding. Right, it's about time. <laughs> it's about time. Um, no, let's let's spend a few minutes just talking about fixed income because, like you're you are right. We do get uh, questions about it. It's not you know it's it's not as exciting obviously as as the equity markets. It's a much bigger market than equities, but not as exciting. So um, just sort of in summary, uh, with interest rates where they are right now, they're low. They are, you know, I expect the yields to rise over the course of the year with everything else going on. Um, but I, I don't see anything too exciting. I would say you expect for, a, you know, a, a normal, say, Government of Canada bond, uh, somewhere in, you know, low single digit returns. Now, fixed income isn't only purchased for uh, for the yield. Um, it's purchased as a ballast and as a balance for the portfolio as well. So you always have to factor that in mind and know what your uh, what your asset allocation that's suitable for you is. And so sometimes you just give up some upside. Well, often you give up upside for the protection on the downside uh, with the expectation in 2022 that interest rates are going to rise. That that will price that will push down uh, the price of bonds. They're you know they're inverse there. So I would say for that, if you're going to be making calls in your bond portfolio, I would keep the duration uh, relatively short, um, just because the longer duration are going to have a, a stronger um, reaction to uh, yields going up. Um, I would look at maybe high yield bonds, emerging market debt, uh, corporate bonds, where you may be able to see uh, eco some more yield. Uh, but understand your risk tolerance because, like everything else, the higher you go up that that um, yield curve, you know the the more risk comes into the portfolio relative to equities. It's still, you know, pretty pretty minimal. Uh, what we do, uh, what I do, and you know, we do have I do manage my bond holdings, but I think for a lot of people, uh, there's a there's an ETF that's put out by McKenzie Investments. It's called the McKenzie Unconstrained Bond Fund. And I, I like that fund for people who aren't um, actively managing the fixed income portfolio, uh, uh, fixed income part of their portfolio. And if mm -hmm. we have a quick look at you know where they are today, or I think this is at the end of October, this chart here, it's the most recent uh, available. But if you looked under the sector allocation, they do have a fairly healthy exposure right now to things like investment grade corporates and, and high yield corporate bonds, emerging markets. So they are, uh, you know, these, the people, the managers of this fund are just true fixed income experts. And so uh, a lot of time, I think that I would just, you know, um, hand this duty over to them. And in a fund like this, which is basically a balanced fixed income fund, still low uh, when you look at the scale of volatility, it's still considered to be a lower volatility fund, but let them make the calls of where interest rates are going and, and you know, what you should be doing. So I would say for a lot of viewers, that would a, that fund or a, a similar type of fund where the fund managers have discretion would probably be appropriate. And you know, I, I could go on and on about fixed income, but I know that you know people like to talk about it a little bit, but we rarely uh, you know get a, a question. Can you go really deeply into it? So I think that kind of summarizes my thoughts on where we're going to be. Not too exciting uh, probably for 2022 unless you really decide you want to you know wrap up the risk in in that uh, in that sector. Yeah, we probably just lost like seventy percent of our viewers yeah. in that last segment. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> maybe maybe speed it up to, to double time or something like that during that. Maybe time. I'll just cut, <laughs> I'll cut that entire section out, eh? 
yeah um yeah so anywho yeah um i mean for those that did stick around I, now we can move on to the more fun part maybe we talk about equities and the sectors that we do like i was just curious i mean for those that that did stick through that and are interested genuinely in in the fixed income side i'm curious how many of them are essentially being a little more active in their in their choices with fixed income you know going for either you know i don't know who would be buying the bonds directly like a shorter duration bond <laughs> but at least maybe uh, you know purchasing a, a fund with you know just in general uh, an average shorter duration I, I wonder how many investors that watch the channel are doing that and making those moves and if you are i mean we'd love to hear you share at least i would just for my own curiosity's sake i, I assume the, the number is very very low but um Great, great question. If yeah, there is kidding. interest, then I'd be happy to put a video together, you know, focused more on fixed income. Like I say, yeah. we do get the, the odd uh, request for it, but uh, certainly not universal. So yeah, I'd be interested to know, uh, you know my take on it, Brandon. I mean, I think fixed income is an important part of a portfolio, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, that's uh, for another day. For another day, and yeah. I think, like I said, let's let's finish off this entire video by talking sure. about what, what sectors in the, in the stock side of things, the yeah. equity side should should benefit. And really the three that I think we've come down to, um, well, not necessarily just three, but three that I think right. are, are, are noteworthy um, yeah. simply, simply because of all the factors we talked about today. Um, I think two companies, I, I joked earlier about a Moderna, but I mean, Moderna is not so much a company we own. I mean, we were buying Pfizer recently for our yeah. um, portfolio challenge, uh, for mm -hmm. our, the, the public portfolios that we do. Pfizer's a name that I am liking at the moment. I added Johnson and Johnson for my own personal account, just taking advantage of the weakness. But just in general, uh, the the healthcare sector is one that, like you said, it's a, I wouldn't say a perfect storm, but it just it, it makes sense that this is an area that you know you may want to be in. And it's not that the prices are. I mean, I'm not speaking of obviously every stock out there, but just yeah, in general, right. it's not like the sector's crazy overvalued. It's not like you're paying an extreme price. In fact, with with pockets within it, take for example a Pfizer. Um, again, I'm like liking Johnson Johnson, but a Pfizer right now, um, absolutely. I think it's actually a good value. I know when Ian was doing a presentation with our students, we had Ian on for one of our private sessions with the students. He was talking about AbbVie, one of the stocks that he's been buying and liking. And mm -hmm. that was obviously a spin-off spin -off from Abbott Labs. But the, the healthcare sector is without a doubt one that I think would be a, an area of interest. I, I think given the demographic shift of the world, um, I think healthcare is an important part even in non-COVID times, an important part mm -hmm. of a portfolio, but especially given the situation today, and you know, there's more and more talk about COVID just becoming part of our lives. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm not naive enough to think that, oh, this is it. I mean, it's something that uh, the governments are now kind of having to spend more money on, uh, and there's all you know the, the testing that's coming online. So I think in the even in a normal time, healthcare is an important sector to have a exposure to, and I think now the conditions would say even more so. Um, if you don't have any exposure to healthcare now in your portfolio, it I think it deserves uh, a serious look. Mm -hmm. Some other companies that I've personally been liking, and you know, one one that pops to mind that I've been wanting to add, especially here in the Canadian market, I've been wanting to get my hands on Power Corp. Um, yeah. I consider that the financial sector here in Canada very much so. They do have a little bit more to their business than just financials, but they are in a sense a, a play on the financial system, big time. Um, big time. They've done so well, uh, really, over the past little while. I, I'm waiting to kind of see some better prices. That said, I don't think it's a bad stock to hold at the long time whatsoever. But the financial sector is another one that we're looking at right, right, right now as well. I mean, 
there's very few times that we don't really feel comfortable adding yeah. the big banks. Um, they're they're pretty awesome to continuously add to. I mentioned great dividend, great yields yeah. on them. Yeah, and, and maybe to make clear, when when I say financials, I, I'm not talking about the U.S. financials. I'm not talking about the J.P. Morgan's, Wells Fargo. Not that those uh, may not be a, a good value, but for me, I when I talk financials, I'm always thinking our, our Canadian system. Maybe that's the home bias kicking in. But when I say financials, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I think another area that we discussed prior to filming this that we see just continuing to power on is just like the secular tech sector. And, yeah. you know, geez, again, I don't want to bring up Ian's like what he said, because, you know, I don't want to just steal what he's saying. But one of the things he, he said the other day, and it just resonated with me, he said, we play in a winner takes all society. And it's these big companies, it's the Amazons, it's the apples of the world that have just kind of reached this scale on this mass. You know, that's, it's a, it really is a force to be reckoned with. And, you know, it, you know, smaller companies, more, more niche down companies, they, they take these hits of, you know, like, let's say the supply chain issues. They're the ones that get affected most. Oh yeah. crap. All their inventory is not making it. They're going to be struggling this or that. Uh, you know, Too bad. Me meanwhile, the big players have their own ships out there bringing the product across, right? <laughs> well, and, and on top of that, it's, you know, like, let's say, for example, interest rates rise a couple times over the next year. And you have all these smaller companies who, you know, ha may have this debt on, uh, let's say, a variable variable rate or variable term debt that, you know, they may they may not have the, the flexibility to, to manage that as well as a company like Apple, who just has billions and billions and billions of dollars. It's mm. not a problem for them. You know, they have money to finance basically whatever's going on in our world. And it's, yeah. it's hard to kind of argue with these companies as holds going forward. Yeah. Going back to what we just talked about with healthcare, it's a, it's a, a sector you want to have to exposure to in any event, but given the current market conditions today, the current economic conditions today and where we're headed, uh, even more so. Uh, so no brainer. Yeah. No brainer. Oh, do we just jinx the whole sector? <laughs> <laughs> When's it, where are we going to put this video up? Tomorrow probably. And it's just going to be... Day. <laughs> way to be yeah well i i think i'll just yeah sorry no i was gonna say short the secular tech sector sector <laughs> yeah but i mean i i think we should wrap this up because this video is long long as heck to be honest yeah but um yeah hopefully that gives the viewers some some just basically more or less discussion style of what our thoughts are and mm -hmm. you mentioned it at the top that it, it's it's not as easy as a matter of just saying hey it's black and white this is it we are trying to share with you guys kind of the things that have all pieced into our decisions that may lean us a certain way. And I think at the end of the day, like we're not trying to go against telling people get out of the U S market, get into the Canadian market, get out of this, get into, get into tech, get into healthcare. Um, we're just saying that in general, we want to take our, our approach that we always take our balanced diversified approach, but we can make these tactical shifts to kind of uh, essentially make these, make these plays. And that's what we do as investors is we essentially factor in the information and and we try to capitalize on some opportunities yeah. that 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 may lie ahead yeah that's that's what it's all about and and um uh, i just you say my, my sort of my summary i guess is compared to 2021 i mean i think the returns will be muted i don't think we're going to see them like we've seen through most of the year we're just completing now a couple of big wild cards you know COVID, and if they don't get inflation under under check that could you know, change everything, but I'm, I'm uh, reasonably, I'm cautiously optimistic, I guess, going into the new year, Brandon, and it's always exciting to sort of 
you know, position things and, 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 and see what's going to happen. And then a year later, you go, nailed this one, missed yeah. that one. And, you know, there, that's always the way it's going to be. And like, you know, kind of going right to the, back to the beginning of the, the minds of those big U.S. dealerships, uh, brokerage firms cannot agree. Well, you know, we're just yeah. adding to the conversation. But that's all that's what investing always is. Right. Having a conversation, mm -hmm. listening to the pros, cons, and then putting your money where your mouth is at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you guys so much for watching the video all the way through. I think this may be our last video of the year, Dad. We, we may throw them together, but um, maybe I'll just say on behalf of ourselves, thank you guys so much for just an amazing year. And Dad, this is be, I guess, your first calendar year on as my a YouTuber. First, right? My first as Christmas as an official YouTuber. Yeah, I made a couple of cameo Crazy. appearances previously, but uh, doing true, this now. True. And so, yeah, for those of you who have, you know, been supporting of the channel, uh, wow, it's just amazing, and I've been, I've just loved the I guess ten months or so that I've been uh, a bigger part of this channel, and so uh, thank you for all the support you've given us. Uh, Merry Christmas to everybody, and yeah, just really looking forward to twenty twenty two and uh, powering on like the economy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, if you guys are not subscribed, make sure you subscribe, hit the bell for notifications as well, and then of course we do have our investing academy. Um, this this conversation, I would say, you know, if you're just wondering about our academy, this would definitely be suited more towards the advanced program we offer. So um, the mastery program hmm. for those that are wanting to kind of get more up to speed with the economy and look at the sources we use and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, for a beginner, you know, this this may have been very much over their head. Uh, that said, it's great to watch these anyways to just absorb and to just listen, because although it may sound a little bit, you know, foreign at first. Fast or whatever. Yeah, it rubs off. I can promise you uh, that. Not everybody starts like. You know, it, it does. It really does. I'm, sh but I'm sure. I will just very quickly, Brandon, because I just I, I'm sure I may have said this before. But uh, for the for those of you who, yeah, if this was a little bit um, more confusing or advanced, I it takes me back to when I started in the industry in 1994, and um, I sit in our Tuesday meetings and I would listen to information like this, and it was just like a foreign language, but. Keep listening, keep learning. It it does eventually translate into something that you can understand and apply to your own investment journey. So yeah, just uh, ho hopefully you either understood what we talked about. That's kind of the goal. But if not, just uh, keep keep powering on. Thanks, Brandon. Or, or just go back to the very beginning and watch it all over again, and maybe it'll maybe it'll stick. Then it'll resonate. <laughs> New Year's resolution every day. Watch this video over and over till you till you, you get every last second. Of it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, again, that's our academy down below. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys so much for the great year. Dad, cool. I will see you probably soon-ish, maybe. We'll have to see. But we'll um, see how it goes over the holidays, yeah. We'll see how it goes over the holidays. Yeah, thank you for spending the time here today. Okay, Brian. Thanks so much. Thanks, everybody. Okay, talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.